Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text hope NY in New York. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. And what's up, everybody? Welcome in GC Live Tuesday episode of the show presented by Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network, clinthammond.com. 803-771-6933 is how you can get in touch with Clint. And um, as we tell you every single day on the show, if you're in the market to maybe buy a new home or uh, maybe you just want to see what options you have out there for, uh, you know, maybe to save yourself some money with a refinance, uh, give Clint a shout. His NMLS number is 71597. He is the branch manager right here in Columbia at the Columbia Mortgage Network right across from Dreher High School. Again, 803-771-6933. Clint will definitely take care of you if that's something that you're in the market for. Uh, Welcome in. As normally on Tuesday during the season, we're a little bit later than normal just because this is press conference day. Shane Beamer, of course, speaking to preview the Georgia game. And, uh, you know, like like I told you all last week, as far as our content on Gamecock Central, we will continue to have stuff looking back a bit at the game 
um, at East Carolina, probably into Wednesday, sometimes even early Thursday. But as far as South Carolina goes, Georgia week really officially begins on, on Tuesday. The guys have Monday off. That's sort of – I look at Monday, Chris, as being like a reset day. Um, Sunday is sort of like a day for the players to try and uh, fix what went wrong uh, the day before. You go ahead and get that in there while it's fresh, and, and you, it's sort of a teach day a day for younger guys. Monday is an off day, and Tuesday is really when, when they dive into to Georgia or, or whatever the next opponent is. So uh, Tuesday presser has uh, come and gone. Shane Beamer previewing Georgia earlier today. And um, I, I want to get into to Beamer's comments on Georgia here shortly, Chris. But first of all, the latest on Luke Doty. Um, once again, it, it seems like this is probably three in a row now where uh, we've been talking on Tuesday about Doty's progress towards possibly getting back. And um, Beamer saying today that, that basically he did more this week. He did more today than he did last Tuesday. Um, but then last Tuesday, some soreness popped up. They didn't really want to push it on Saturday and, and put him in the ball game. Um, sounds like Doty is inching ever closer to a return to the field for South Carolina. It is. And, and Wes, you know, the vibe I get, and, and first of all, a lot of people I've, I've noticed on the Insiders Forum, they're wanting us to give a percentage or maybe an answer, just really the latest on Doty. Is he going to play? And this was even before the press conference earlier today here on Tuesday. I don't know that we know that. Is that fair to say, Wes? I mean, we can't sit here and say definitely yes, definitely no. Is he getting closer? For sure. Right. And, and that's because of the progress he's made. We're going to continue checking on it, reporting on it throughout the week, and we'll see what comes out Thursday, Friday, whatever day, Saturday morning. But it seems to me like, you know, the, the big the big factors right now for Luke Doty are, you know, soreness was an issue, obviously, leading up to ECU. But Shane Beamer has used this phrase multiple times, knocking the rust off. So, He's gone through a prolonged period of, of practice as the season began and leading up to the season where he wasn't able to practice. There was, there was many days where he couldn't do anything as he was in the boot. Once he got out of it, it was about getting reacclimated, doing more and more in practice. And so, uh, you know, managing the pain, the soreness, which has all gotten better. But now it's about being able to get out practice be fully acclimated into practice, and then are you ready, right? Because it's not just a guy's healthy, put him out there. You know, it, it's it's not always that simple, particularly at a position like quarterback, for a guy in Luke who still, I think we forget, is still rel- his, not even relatively, he's very inexperienced player still, right? So I think that those are a couple of the big factors to look at is not even just, okay, what's his health? As far as how is the foot, it's soreness and it's and it's being actually ready to play, and that's something that's being kind of constantly assessed here. Well, he, he is very young in his football development too, as well. And I think Chris, sometimes we see these guys who have been playing, you know, quarterback their entire life. They they started since they were like freshmen in high school, and and even not that high school experience necessarily equates to college experience, but I, I think it's relevant to this conversation that. This is a kid who, who, as a sophomore in high school, played quite a bit of wide receiver just to get him, you know, get his athleticism on the field. So, you know, I, I think important to remember um, 
he's still going to continue to get better, but you have to sort of be smart about how you progress him. And, and man, I, I mean, this is not a guy – if this was a, a guy who was maybe a statue in the pocket in the first place, I don't know. Maybe it's not even – depending on exactly how the injury felt, maybe it's not as big of a deal. But we all know Luke's legs are a massive part of what he brings to the table. And, uh, you know, for South Carolina, they, they don't want to put him in a position to get in there and, and take hits when basically um, – it's a situation where he could have gotten out, you know, gotten out of the pocket otherwise. So uh, that soreness is very, very real, I, I think, uh, that he had last week. So you, you got to be very, very smart about uh, about managing that situation. And did you notice um, at the – towards the end of the Doty comment, uh, actually to uh, to our own Colin Taylor, um, who was getting in on the, the Doty question parade um, – he, he brought up, he being Shane Beamer, brought up Zeb Nolan and said, hey, Zeb Nolan made some big-time throws late in this game. Anytime a coach attaches that on there, Chris, it's with reason. I, I noticed that, and I was going to bring it up. You know, there was no question about Zeb Nolan or the offense or anything like that. It, it was it was kind of discussing Luke and his health and his readiness, his potential readiness, and Said, yeah, but Zeb Nolan made some some big time throws at the end there against TCU. So, yeah, I think he's there's kind of some some dual reasoning I think for that. Wes, it's it's to give Zeb you know his credit, but also I think it's to you know prepare people for the fact that we, we don't know yet quite what's going to happen. And so even though that you know Beamer has said they anticipate Luke being a hundred percent going into the game again, I go back to what I said earlier. It's not just about can he play, right? It's how ready is a guy to play, not just from a soreness standpoint, but from a mental, physical standpoint, from practice reps and all that leading up to a week for a very, very tough opponent. You know, where is he with all that by the week's end? And so Beamer, I think, giving a a little bit of a reminder there, whether it was – I do think there was intention to it, Wes, but uh, just to kind of attach that to to keep it in people's minds that – Zeb Nolan started the first couple games and certainly could be possible that he plays, starts, whatever it may be on Saturday too. So we'll just have to see where it goes from there. Yeah, um, Beamer, very, very, as you would expect, um, his praise for Georgia, it was strong. It was strong. You know, and we've seen – Shane Beamer, and this is this is part of the learning experience, I think, for us as well. What, what's Beamer going to be like on a game week? What's he going to be like on a game day as far as sideline demeanor? What's he like each preview press conference? That's part of it. Um, he's definitely in the I'm going to lay it on pretty thick uh, with praise for the opponent. I'm going to find something to praise. Um, in this game, though, Chris, he did not have to look far at all to find – examples of, of things to praise. I mean, if you look at the way Georgia has recruited and just sort of look at the makeup of this roster, I mean, uh, I'm sure you'll have uh, the Star Power article. Have, have you glanced at that yet? Because um, that, that'll be something to get into tomorrow, I guess. But uh, yeah. the Star Power, the Star Power on this one is going to be o- over the top, man, because this, this is a Georgia team that top to bottom – if you just look at sort of – I always call it stacking classes. If you look at how they've stacked classes, then um, it's right up there 
with, with anybody. Um, and in fact, depending on what what rankings you use, whether you use uh, rivals or you know or twenty four seven or whoever, um, depending on which ones you use, Chris, um, they they may actually have more true five star like former five star rated guys than maybe even Alabama. I, I know Alabama. If you look at like the sort of uh, have, have you have you do you buy in and I, and I do sort of this like the blue chip idea of like the percentage of players on a team that are former blue chips out, out of high school and at Alabama if you're talking four star and five star is pretty much um, number one I think most years but but Georgia if you're just looking at five stars is, is right up there with anybody in the country uh, depending on which ranking systems you use so Beamer saying this is the most talented. I think he says the most talented Georgia team of all time, um, which uh, they do have a national title under their belt, so that's a big sentence. But um, but man, the uh, the talent level on this team, there's a reason they're number two in the country. Well, and they've got you know they they've got four star guys, even five star guys. Like if you look at at Brock Vandegrift, you know really. Might be third, fourth on the depth chart. He was a former five-star quarterback, but they've they've got guys that are third-string West that are, you know, former highly recruited four-star guys. So, yeah, I've, I've kind of glanced at it. I th- I think it would be even more. It's going to be eye-popping when star power comes out this week. With just wow, look at the starters. You know, mostly going to be four-star and five-star guys. Would be even more eye-opening if we expanded that out. Of okay, now let's do the second team, right? Like. Shane Beamer mentioned there are guys that weren't even on Georgia's too deep that have been out there the first couple weeks making plays, you know, so, um, and and that's without, they've been a little shorthanded, you know, JT Daniels was a former highly recruited guy, missed last week. Uh, Darnell Washington, a former five-star tight end has been out. Tyke Smith, that was one of their uh, big time transfers in the off season in the secondary. He's been out. So, uh, no, but they're just – they're loaded at a lot of different spots, and it's not just one you point to. It's, well, offensive line, defensive line, linebackers. You know, Channing Tindall West, who was – I mean, he was a guy that a bunch of programs, you know, regionally and nationally wanted. And what did he play against Clemson? 11 snaps. I mean, he, he was the guy everybody was talking about after the game. 41 was a nightmare for Clemson. He played 11 snaps, you know, for this team. So tons of depth, tons of talent, and and certainly a, a tall order for the Gamecocks in that regard and, and effusive praise from, from Shane Beamer today. Yeah, and and rightfully so, man. I mean, the it's obvious. That, you know, Beamer was talking about how all he heard about was the secondary was an issue for them, and then you look out there and there's just – talent across the board uh, depth the depth is, is everywhere and you know that's let's be honest nobody on this show probably wants to hear it or see it but that's what you're that's ultimately what you're trying to get to if you're South Carolina it's that this is a team that doesn't just as you said have the talent with the starters it's if, if you lose a guy pretty much at, at about any position it, that means you're not going to wreck your season just where you're just like sitting there praying, you know, even some of those really great South Carolina teams where they're not certain positions where you're just like South Carolina fans are like, don't let it hit this spot. Don't let it, let it. you know, yeah. because you, you just don't have that, that depth across the board. Georgia, one of, one of the few handful of teams in the country right now that has that depth um, 
pretty much uh, across the board in this game. And, and Beamer was obviously um, effusive with his praise for the program, for Kirby, for how they operate, for for pretty much everything, which you you'd expect nothing less. But I think in this case where, you know, you go back, the Eastern Illinois game where you sort of going into Lou Holtz mode a little bit if you're Beamer, finding – things to, to sort of praise them on with Georgia to me it was just I think it was actually more factual as, as over the top as it was I think that's just who Georgia is right now yeah yeah I mean he even said that he's like best best Georgia team ever and I'm not you know just saying that I mean in in look I mean there, there aren't many holes on this team it's kind of like we were talking the other day about it Wes and you know, it was mentioned to us, well, well, you know, maybe, you know, Georgia's running game hasn't been as good as people expected it to be. And it's like, wow, we're really splitting hairs here. You know, if that's what you're talking about is the weakness. Same thing with the secondary. I mean, the secondary, maybe not that great. Darion Kendrick, former five-star Clemson transfer is one of their starters. Very, uh, We're all very familiar with him. <laughs> we're very familiar with him. Christopher Smith, who was a guy that South Carolina recruited under Will Muschamp and had the had the pick six against Clemson, so I mean, you know, just just loaded with four and five star guys. Even back there, even if they don't have Tyke Smith, even if they have a few depth issues or it's a question, this is still a team that uh, there would not be. I mean, how how many college programs slash coaches would trade rosters would not trade rosters with Georgia? There might be. There'd be a bunch of coaches as I would say, I would not trade my roster for that team. But in, in reality, one, two, maybe, just in terms of raw talent depth on the roster. So it's again that that's why we've talked so much about this being a tall order. Just not many holes, you know, on this Georgia roster. And that's why you've heard so much, so much praise. No doubt. Um J- JT Daniels, we, we had somebody ask who um you know, who's going to be the starting quarterback for Georgia this week. Um, Chris, you correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and and if if Kirby is anything like, you know, the, like Muschamp and sort of the, the Saban coaching tree, we, we probably ain't going to know until Saturday. The, the, thing, the headlines I saw, so Kirk, Kirby speaks on Mondays as opposed to, you know, South Carolina does the Tuesday press conference. Um, still up in the air right is that is that what what you got have you heard anything differently than that I mean it sounds like similarly to South Carolina and Doty obviously a little different scenario as far as their experience but um with with Daniels they're going to sort of push him a little bit and uh and see see where it is this week yeah and and for some context you know Daniels it was a situation where he's kind of playing through that that what was it an oblique injury I Mm -hmm. think Wes yep and uh, was playing through it and practicing through it a little bit at first and, and became very, very painful. And so it sounds like it's kind of a very painful thing that he's been dealing with. So kind of more of a day-to-day thing. I think you're right. We might not know until whoever trots out there on Saturday. If it's Stetson Bennett, it's not like anybody's going to say, here's here's our opening. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's still, it's still going to be tough given all the things, but – JT Daniels is a starter. It is a storyline to watch, but I don't think we have a great answer for it yet. And certainly this week we'll be checking in uh, with some of our Georgia folks to to see what the latest is. Maybe Wednesday, Thursday, 
might have a better sense of that. So both teams with some with some questions there at quarterback. Yeah, I'll throw a quote at you. This is from Kirby Smart yesterday. Um, I don't know any more than I knew Saturday night. He's been in treatment twice, and Ron, I believe that's probably their head athletic trainer. Um, Ron says he's certainly improved. He threw the ball um, in warm-ups Saturday more than he threw the ball all last week. So he was better then than he was the previous days. I'll know a little bit more after practice um, Monday, yesterday, in terms of his ability and his ability to move around and throw the ball. I know he's been in treatment twice, and from the update, he has definitely improved. So, yeah, wait and see. We shall see. I imagine um, much like here as the week goes on, our Georgia folks will start to get an idea of which way it is leaning, what the expectation is. Uh, much like last week, as the week went on, it sounded more and more stronger that Zeb Nolan would get the start at ECU for South Carolina. Um, this week, I think we'll have a much better feel again. Probably Wednesday, Thursday is when I, I sort of start to see that information leak out a little bit. And I imagine pretty similar at Georgia, although they are known as being one of the tightest, like, um, it's like trying to get information out of the Pentagon, apparently, to to see any of Georgia's practice or get any information out over there. So we shall see. Again, I mean, th- does that play a factor in the game? Yes. Is it, again, like Chris said, is it some huge opening? I mean, the, the thing about um, there is, you know, JT Daniels to me is a little bit more dynamic of a quarterback. Um Stetson Bennett is more – he's the guy that's going to go out there and just know where the ball is supposed to go, get the job done. Uh, you don't have to quite worry about a guy that's going to be able to make all the big-time throws and is just going to kill you in the passing game. He's more of a manager of the game. Even though he's – with the talent around him, Chris, he has managed to put up some some nice stats in his time um, playing quarterback. I, I think um, – did he have five touchdowns and a half? Um, I mean, that's – that's, I think, a, an all-time Georgia record. So um, it, it's it gets a little bit easier, but is it enough to, to matter, I guess, is the question. Yeah, very true. And, and I think that's what you have to look at, no matter who's at quarterback for Georgia. You know, I don't want to completely discount it. It definitely is something. We saw the last time South Carolina went down, you know, to Athens and won very unexpectedly, right? Not saying history is going to repeat itself, but that was a very unexpected win a big reason for that was the quarterback play that day by then Georgia quarterback, Jake Fromm. He, he had some struggles, right? That wasn't all him. Javon Kinlaw harassed him into throwing one ball that went errant. McQuamu picks it off, runs it back, pick six. Another one uh, went off of a Georgia receiver's shoulder pads, right? So there, there were some interceptions and some turnovers and a lot of different things that went wrong for Georgia that day. So quarterback matters in that, if you if you're playing a guy and he's making a lot of mistakes, that that's that really is the recipe for South Carolina. Because if we're just being honest, I mean, this is a mismatch from a talent standpoint, and that's that's going to be the case with anybody that Georgia plays this year. Just about you know maybe they end up meeting up with Alabama, SEC title game is probably what people expect. Maybe not then. Maybe that's more of an even match. But an on paper talent perspective. You know they're going to be a mismatch about against about anybody, but it's about who plays the best on any given Saturday. And so when you look at you know key to the game for South Carolina, it's obviously going to be turnover margin is the number one. That that can be the great equalizer. 
you know, in, in games like this. So, uh, you know, that that's why we, we look at this quarterback situation and, and look at it with so much interest because if a guy does happen to struggle, they've got other guys they can put in there. Carson Beck, you know, at Georgia was a guy that people thought may end up getting the start in the absence of JT Daniels. He didn't. They ended up going with Bennett. But it is something to watch. So, um, did, did you – by the way, Chris and I were handling some things. Did you did you get a chance to listen to most of the press conference, Chris? I did. I got to listen to it on, on the way back home. So, I, I listened to just about every moment of it. Okay, good. I, I missed some parts of it, and then I was writing up the injury update during part of it. But um, – and by the way, as far as other injuries – Knock on wood if you're a Gamecock fan. Um, South Carolina relative – I don't even know if I should say relatively healthy. Like, they're pretty darn healthy to be going into week three. Uh, somebody asked earlier about Rick Sandage. He is still out uh, dealing with that lower leg injury. It was kind of clear, I think, from the from when that happened that that was going to be something that kept him out for a little bit. Um, not a season-ending uh, deal, it sounds like, but certainly something that was going to make him miss some time. Otherwise, I mean – you know, they've had guys banged up, bumps, bruises. You have that. that that's football. But South Carolina, you know, really healthy going into this game. Injury report really pretty much completely just uh, was about Doty. And then, um, you know, the, a quick update on Sanders that he's still out this week. What, was there anything else, Chris, other than like we talked about, the quarterback position, the the big praise for Georgia? Um I'll be curious to see what, what comes out of the coordinator press conferences tomorrow. Those have been very intriguing to me the, the first couple of weeks. But what um, did, did, was there anything else that just caught your, I caught your attention today? I, I think one thing was talking about offensive line. You know, Beamer got, you know, a little as fired up as he's going to get in a setting like that about the offensive line. And, and I think what Beamer – does like you're going you're talking about this earlier kind of the personalities and how he's going to kind of conduct business in the press conference and beamer has been very upfront about what needs to improve right and taking responsibility which i think a lot of fans appreciate you know a coach saying this or that is on me or we got to coach better those types of things fans just tend to appreciate those things he he pointed out though with the offensive line this is a point that we try to make a lot when the run game is struggling, or even in pass protection, most people are going to immediately say the O-line stinks, and, and that's the, the sole first cause of the problems. In reality, a lot of times it's it's kind of more complex than that. And so does the offensive line need to play better? Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt, you know, whether it's one-on-one pass protection, some run blocking, things like that. But what Beamer pointed out there – Wes was sometimes in pass protection. If, for instance, somebody goes right by a tackle and it looks like a big whiff, that might be because the quarterback slid protection a certain way. He's trying to guess a certain stun or a certain blitz, guessed wrong in moving the protection, and the tackle's actually doing what he was supposed to do on the play, right? So then that goes to more scheming or the quarterback, uh, things like that. So I, I thought that was that's maybe not a point that a lot of people find interesting. I found it interesting that he that he did bring it up because a lot of what we've seen, and we touched on this yesterday, Wes, a lot of what we've seen in the running game, you know, there's different aspects to it. Sometimes the back didn't hit the right hole. Sometimes they don't have the right play on. Sometimes maybe they need to diversify the run more. Sometimes a guy does get whipped on a block. 
but it's not only okay. The the O line's the only unit not doing their job here. So uh, he he did talk about that a little bit. I thought that was a little bit of an interesting note. And I I almost felt like I knew exactly which play he was talking about when he was referencing that because there there were a couple of plays that looked just like that where the the tackle took a guy to his left and just let somebody run free and you're you're sitting there if you don't know the call you may be going what what was that um and and Beamer you could tell he was he was very uh what's the word diplomatic maybe like he was like he's like PFF uh, he's like now we use PFF too but it's not and and I think we've had sort of similar comments we have access to PFF we publish stuff from PFF it is not the uh the end all be all. Right. It is a nice resource. Um, and, and teams, teams in the NFL use PFF teams in college use PFF. It is a reference um, that they, they use it. I, I think for, uh, for checking other rosters and, and sort of trying to have a feel for, for uh, maybe another opinion on, on a guy for, for a team you're about to play. But um, if you look at the PFF stuff, they're not high. And that was, that was what Beamer was referencing. I think there was an article this week um, from the state referencing South Carolina's O-line and pass pro not being very good. Now, dude, some some of the pass pro stuff um, kind of uh, relates to what we were talking about in the running game a little bit as well. But yeah. ECU gave no you-know-whats. Like, they were bringing – they're bringing – cover zero like six man like we're just gonna bring the house um and live with the results like it looked like me playing playstation back in the day where you just do the little um the little double a gap blitz where you just send the linebackers straight at the quarterback um that that was sort of how they called the game and we knew they would be aggressive but to me it was it was maybe even more aggressive than i thought some teams are going to copy that I don't know if other teams are going to be willing to be quite as aggressive as ECU was with, with some of that stuff, but you know, are there are there ways to to uh, combat that? Yes. Um, did South Carolina always necessarily do as good a job as they needed to with that? No. But is that always on the offensive line? Certainly not. So there, there's a there is nuance. I think is what Beamer was getting to. And is this O line going to have to be much better? I think absolutely yes. Um, I don't think anybody would disagree with that, but I, I have noticed Be- Beamer Beamer does not like when people, um, and, and maybe, maybe I'm being, in my opinion, it seems like Beamer does not like when people just take an issue and then sort of just have like a black and white um, answer to it or yeah. opinion on it. Oh, the offensive line is awful. Well, Let's have let's have the, let's have the conversation and have the nuance about it. Does the offensive line need to be better? Yes, but is it all completely the offensive line's fault? Absolutely not. We talked about the tight ends, um, you know, needing to to do more in the in the running game uh, against um, Eastern Illinois. I thought the tight ends, especially on that that outside zone down the stretch, blocked very very well. Um, dude, I, I finally I completed my rewatch last night. Jaheim Bell is a football player. Like, let, I, I know we, you know, we 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 talk very highly of Jaheim on this show quite a bit coming into the year. But man, there were some plays where he he's just hammering his guy down the field. Like he has him locked up and he is driving him 
five, eight, ten yards down the field. So um, th- there were some improvements in the blocking department uh, that were in some of the areas we talked about after week one, I think. Yeah, and that outside zone play is a great point. The tight ends are really, really important on that play because they're obviously setting the edge. You're seeing them, you know, sometimes cut off a guy or even double a guy and then move on to the next one. So they're they're kind of doubling a guy and then climbing up to the next level. Thinking about one play, Nick, Nick Muse did it amazingly on one of the plays where Juju McDowell, if you're kind of thinking about it from the screen, they were going from – he was going from left to right on your screen. And, you know, down there pinned a guy, you know, doubled him, came off at just the right time and pinned another guy in and really set the edge for Juju McDowell in one of those runs. And you're right, Bell showing that he can do a little bit of everything. And I thought the tight ends definitely played well, which is important when they're, when they're running that outside zone run and really important at any point in the run game because – especially when teams are devoting extra defenders um, to the line of scrimmage to combat the Gamecocks run, it's going to be key for the, those guys to play well. Um, no doubt, man. So so we'll see. And, and like a point we were trying to make yesterday, man, they, they, could, they could improve everything we're talking about this week. And it may just not be clear this week because – you're facing such a tough opponent. Uh, this this Georgia front is going to make a lot of people look iffy. So it's going to be interesting to try to sort through that this week. Uh, real quick, before we get rolling anymore, Chris, you want to tell everybody about our good friends at Dead Soxy? Make sure you check out the guys at Dead Soxy, D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com. Um, you see it there if you're on the stream on YouTube, Periscope, Facebook, the college line of Spur Socks, or you can check out a lot of different designs that they have in their boardroom dress socks, their athletic socks, no shows, uh, patented node slip technology and very soft feel comfortable socks, men's and women's for any occasion, deadsoxy.com and check this out. 25% off your order at deadsoxy.com. If you use the promo code cocky. Buttery soft feel. You said it today, not me. So I'll let you take the, well, somebody else in our comments said it too. Um, Trey, I think. Uh, hey, John wants to know: Do we have a Georgia D line versus SC O line weight comparison? Good question, John. I, I don't have one in front of me. I'll tell you this: the, I mean, it's not like South Carolina gives up a lot of poundage to many teams. I mean, it is a true SEC sized defense or offensive line for South Carolina. Now, I will say this. Georgia's nose guard, who Beamer actually referenced one of his crazy plays he made on Saturday, Jordan Davis is a freak of nature. He's, what, 340 pounds, is out there chasing down players on the perimeter. Um, he, As they say, Chris, he's built different. He, he is. And I remember that guy out of high school, Wes, because you remember when South Carolina was recruiting Rick Sandage. You know, he was a buddy of Jordan Davis. Um, I think they, you know, they didn't play at the same high school, but knew each other, taught during the process and everything. I think I, I remember Jordan Davis being at Rick Sandage's announcement ceremony, actually. So I remember that, too. Yeah. So Jordan, a huge dude. And man, he has developed. I mean, uh, some people there, there was a thought that maybe he was an offensive lineman in college. He has plays nose guard. He has played 
you know, nose guard and he's a nose guard. He's, he's, he's done an excellent job developing. And yeah, I mean, the thing that stands out about those guys, the, the size, yes, but just the, the speed and athleticism and skill level up front is really something. And you're right, man, the SCO line, we don't have that compare. I don't have that comparison West in front of me, but you don't look at South Carolina's offensive line and say, those guys look a little undersized there. They're not. I mean, you got Justin Turnatine, you got Jalen Nichols beside him. The only guy that might be considered, I guess, undersized in the traditional sense is maybe Javon Gwynn. You know, he's a little on the quote-unquote shorter size, but a powerful guy, right, that has weight on him. He's not He's not 6'5", 330, um, but a guy that has that, that guard size, you know, so – he, he might be the only one that you would consider undersized in that traditional sense. So we were talking about PFF a second ago. Um, I, I pulled up the numbers so far. And the numbers, the PFF numbers, again, they I don't always agree with them, but they do. I, I like that they sort of um, can give you a little more detailed look. You know, they, it's an easy way to see how many times was a guy targeted it, from a defensive back standpoint, how many receptions were made against him. Um, from a pass rush standpoint, they have some really unique metrics where you can see, you know, how many snaps did a guy have where he was a pass rusher? How many times did he get there? How many pressures did he get? Um, the actual grades, eh, can, you know, can go different ways. Who, Chris, this, this one I feel like you'll probably get. Um, defense through two games. And the thing I do like about PFF is it sort of does reward – um consistency so like if you if you were an 85 grade for the first two games your overall grade isn't an 85 like over time it actually rewards the fact that you are the uh the the best performing player um by pff through two games which which guy that's like played a lot do you think is the highest graded best graded on defense. JJ and Igbari, I would say. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. Pretty, pretty. That one, I feel like matches the eye test as right. well. Like makes sense. Um, second is Cam Smith, which um, if you think about it, man, Cam, Cam has sort of, if he can ever get rid of the, the just little extra excitement after a play, then uh, Cam has had a really good start to the year. Well, I, I think about Cam, so a couple things that – and I don't want to say they were surprising, right? Like before Cam went down with the foot injury, think back to the spring. I go back even to the spring. We heard from several people that he had a really good spring, and which was important because the feeling was with all the questions in the secondary, and some of them are, are still, I would say, there, Wes, but those guys have overperformed even relative to the competition, I think through two weeks. Uh, it was Cam is very needed in the secondary. They're going to be relying on him, and he has performed very well in the spring. So he carried it over, missed time in preseason, attacked his rehab, and he's done a good job. Yes, needs to cool it on the extracurricular. But I think, I mean, tackling, he's done a really good job being physical and tackling. And then I think about, I mean, he made two huge plays in the ECU game. Perfect position. The play that he got, I think, one of the flags on, that's the one where he knocked the ball away from the guy like twice, right? But, 
I mean, just great instincts with how he was able to knock the ball away. So that that's impressive. Wes, where is our guy Brad Johnson, though, on that list? That's one I'm curious about because he has been very productive in terms of pass rush, particularly from that Will linebacker spot. Yes, excellent question. By the way, did you catch uh, – I, I didn't catch this live. I caught it in the, the replay. Later on in one of Cam Smith's pass breakups, which he had, I think, three pass breakups in, in the game, which is uh, impressive. He had another one down the field. It was on the South Carolina sideline, and uh, he made the the pass breakup, and Clay, Clayton White was on the sideline. And Clayton just casually and calmly was just like, just like grabbed Cam and sort of escorted him. I did see that. Yeah. Kind of like, all right, all right, man, good play, but like get away from him. Um, yeah, let's just go ahead and shield him away. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I thought that was actually hilarious after what, what we had seen earlier. Um, by the way, and I'm going to answer your question. I think worth noting, man, I know you and I talked to some of the same people out there as well, but has, has the praise for the job that Clayton White has been doing um, – it's to the extent that I think it's worth mentioning. I know we're two games into his tenure, yeah, but I feel like we're hearing that everywhere. Like everybody that's been around Clayton White, it's not just the on the field. We all know the results have been good, but I, I think the the feeling around the program is like, man, this guy is the real deal. He's very sharp. The players love playing for him. Um, I, dude, the. Uh, the play, and I know you had Shrod go lightly talk about it a bit in, in his piece. By the way, go check that out on Gamecock Central. But what they sort of schemed up on that play, where um, they ended up taking both pass rushers, both their edge guys, and right before the snap, they shifted them into basically like a gap blitzers, and ended up. Uh, that's what got Sterling com- completely free. Um, he's had some really neat stuff. I feel like from a schematic standpoint, um, you and I talked about, are we going to see that NASCAR package at at some point? Did you notice um, we haven't really seen that to like the way Brad Long did it or the rabbits package. It was back then at South Carolina. Did you, did you notice the one play though, where they had, they did have three edge guys on the field and they had Jordan, they had um, yeah, Jordan strong as a stand up. um, I guess Muschamp called it the spent, the spinner, Mm-hmm. guy where it's like a pass rush guy is lined up as a middle linebacker and he looked like he was actually spying the quarterback in, in this play but did you notice that they've slowly I think there's a lot in the back pocket as far as different little pass rush wrinkles that I think they're slowly actually deploying if that's the best way to say it yeah there's certainly especially given the personnel there's room for continuing to add things on and creativity and that has been an interesting one, Wes, that we've seen different person, different personnel deployed in different ways. I don't know if we've seen, like you said, that true rabbits type of package. And maybe this is just a theory. I don't know if Clayton White's going to address it directly uh, in a press opportunity. But, you know, maybe one of the reasons is they feel like Brad Johnson as a will backer is really, Wes, almost like an extra rush end at times, mm-hmm. especially with the way that they've used him. Um, even if you're in your regular package, you got two pass rushers that you feel good about on the edge. Zach Pickens has done a really good job of pushing the pocket and occupying space. He, he caused Holt Naylor some problems 
to where he had to move around and ride into a, a, an oncoming pass rusher. Brad Johnson's done a great job of adding on to those pressure packages because if a running back stays in to block, he's then been coming in and he has caused some serious problems too. Brad Johnson has um, in those packages. So, it, and, you know, another added thing to think about is if you're in third, six, third, and seven, eight, your teams can still run the ball. More often than not, they're going to pass it. Maybe you feel like there you're in better position to defend the run if that does come up. But just a theory, not, not anything I know for sure uh, as far as that goes. I think they've done a good job of disguising what they want to do when they've really needed to as well. I mean, um, there, there was a play later on. I think it was in – I think it was an ECU's final offensive drive on third down. And they they were almost in um, – it was almost – for a moment it looked like the old uh, – you remember for a little stretch uh, teams were doing like the amoeba defensive front where it's like everybody's standing up type thing. Oh, and yeah. You, don't, oh, you yeah. don't know where they're coming from. For a, for a split second, uh, if – I hope I'm remembering right, y'all. Uh, I think it was the final third down for, for ECU where South Carolina, after um, tying the game, got the ball back. And it was third down, and they looked like they were bringing an all-out, just a six-man rush. And then at the last second, they dropped out into zone. ECU completes it underneath. Jalen Foster, several other guys rallied to the football, made the tackle got the offense the ball back. So I, I think they've done a good job too, Chris, of mixing up when to be aggressive. But then when you're sitting back, you don't just sit back to where you show that pre-snap. They've done a good job of showing pressure, then sitting back, or trying to sit back and then send pressure to where you're you're not sort of you're not just broadcasting to your opponent what exactly you're, you're trying to do. And this this is not as good as the guys have been, man, let's be honest, this is not a four- and five-star loaded defense, but they're playing fast, they're playing hard, they're playing within the scheme. Um, there's a, a very talented defensive front, and the other guys are, are sort of playing, I would say, within what they're asked to do in this scheme so far. You're right. And, you know, on top of that, what your example on the disguise and everything, Sherrod pointed this one out as well. And, by the way, if you've not seen – Sherrod, go lightly, former Spur linebacker, made a lot of plays for the Gamecocks in his career. Really smart football mind. He's done a breakdown each week of, of the big defensive plays. Latest one up on GamecockCentral.com right now, so go check that out if you're a subscriber. But Sherrod pointed out that on Darius Rush's interception, you know, my original intent was I, was, I said, Sherrod, tell me about Darius's technique here because he played it really well. And he pointed out that that was also a disguise. South Carolina showed, you know, press man at the line and they actually backed out of that and they kind of bailed out to the sticks because it was third and nine I think it was um he bails and then reads the quarterback and is able to go and make an outstanding play on the football so um yeah they they have disguised they move some things at the end and really Wes if you look at some of the big defensive plays in that game some of it was truly because East Carolina had some confusion, you know, pre-snap or at the snap as to maybe what they anticipated coming. So when you mix that plus South Carolina's ability as the game went on to pressure the quarterback and to move the pocket and to push the pocket, you know, that caused some issues. 
East Carolina did not do a lot in that game. That they, they had the one explosive play early. They had the the positive field position and, and ended up scoring a touchdown. Other than that, they didn't do a whole heck of a lot, you know, offensively in the game. And South Carolina's defense deserves credit for that. Yeah, and great great play call by ECU to start the game, I guess, with the shot play there, the trick play. Um, but the the other the other score was off of the joiner the other touchdown was off the joiner fumble that wasn't even really a fumble if you ask me so yeah defense has been awesome I did not forget your question Brad Johnson right now so I'm going to take out let's see let's make it just the people that have played a lot as well because the, the other thing about this is it gets it mixes in people that have played like five snaps which isn't really fair um let's see one two three Four, five. Yeah, so Johnson, fifth highest rated defensive guy of the guys for South Carolina that have played um, quite a bit. The, the guys that are ahead of him, Enigbare, Cam Smith, Jordan Birch, still way up there with a 90.8 grade. Um, Jordan Strong, a 78.8 grade. Brad Johnson, a 73.3 grade so and you're still talking about some guys that have have played you know a good bit but not not near as many snaps as Brad so among starters if you include Cam as a starter which he actually hasn't been starting but um, JJ Cam and then Brad uh, among the starters so um, I know Chris is actually the uh, founding member of the Brad Johnson fan club but Brad Johnson uh, dude he looked he looks comfortable at at linebacker man like he He's coming to his own. He's slimmed down a little bit, I, I think, back into – for so long they were trying to, like, put muscle on him, I feel like, to get him ready to play that edge spot. And um, I think he's settled in, man. you, you got to be happy, too. Brad's always been a, a great kid, even going back to, you know, interviewing him in high school and stuff. So, um, he's a good interview, too. Uh, last week, he I mean, he's not one of these guys that gets up there and just sort of gives you player speak. He uh, – he speaks his mind a little bit. He does. And there's there's several guys like like that on the team, which is, you know, that's one reason why it's been cool to see some of their personalities and stuff like that this year. But talking to Brad, you know, had a great conversation with him at the preseason media day about a lot of stuff, um, mainly with that transition to linebacker and just how that's been. And he, of course, had high praise for Clayton White, who's his position coach and his defensive coordinator. So, you know, plenty more challenges coming, I think, for this defense, for that linebacking core. Um, they're going to be tasked, I think, in particular as the schedule moves forward with covering some guys in space that are going to be tough covers. You know, just just the, the way that you know, Georgia will have some <laughs> this weekend. Think about, you know, some of the players that Florida is going to deploy, Clemson. There's going to be some tough asks with that kind of stuff, which it is for really any linebacking core. But especially um, for, for a guy in Brad that, you know, is, is still making that transition. But he does look comfortable, and he has really, really helped and shined from a pass rushing perspective. Yeah, and before I forget to make this point, man, how big has it been for South Carolina as far as this pass rush goes? Um, and, again, we, we've talked about this several times. We, we all thought and were projecting the defensive line to play really well and the pass rush to be really good. But as we've seen, you just you never quite know if it's going to be the same that you expect 
when you go play real people, when you go play opponents, as opposed to you can you can be wrong by what by hearing feedback from your O line versus your D line or your corners versus your receivers. We've all been fooled by that in the past at times. It, it can happen, but this defensive front, man, to me, Chris, the difference this past week is that it's not just a guy like Enigbare. Um, how how many times when um, Ehlers either got sacked or was pressured into either making a bad throw or throwing the ball away or, or whatever it is, how many times was it not just that one guy had defeated a blocker? It was that he's dodging this person and then he's getting rushed from another lane by this guy up front. I mean, he, he's getting – Basically, he's dodging three or four guys. I mean, dude, by the way, lost in the shuffle a bit. MJ Webb got in the game a little bit and, and was pushing the pocket as well. I think MJ and uh, and Boogie are sort of um, alongside Tonka, the next guy in the rotation. And, and MJ's kind of one of those forgotten guys. Feels like he's been here forever. Former four-star guy. Has played O-line, D-line, O-line, you know, back and forth. Um Good for him, though. He was in there. I, I remember a play in particular where he he didn't get credit, I don't think, but was pushing his guy back in, you know, into the line, and there were, there were three or four guys. It, it was almost at times like um, there was kind of a, a, a friendly fight to, to see who was going to get to collect the sack. And uh, I'm here to tell you tell all, man, Jordan Strong, I think this guy's a stud. Like, I know he's not a starter. I know it's going to be hard to pass, you know, Enigbari or Sterling. But when I watch him, the way he moves, he looks like an NFL pass rusher to me. So, um, th- that unit, if, if nothing else this year, man, that unit is really fun to watch. And that the talent there is legitimate. Yeah, it is. Lot, lots of guys stepping up, stepping forward. You know, it, it was good to see MJ Webb, a guy that was in the – the 2017 recruiting class, just like Brad Johnson, who's been around a while, get rewarded. Boogie Huntley has has continued to get plenty of playing time, especially with Rick Sandage out. You're right. I mean, Strawn, Strawn is a guy that when you see him on the screen, you know he's in the game because he has kind of a unique frame and body type. He's long. He's put on weight so he doesn't look, you know, thinner like he did at Georgia State. You know, now he's, what, 240 pounds, something like that. Looks great and moves really well. I mean, he's just got that natural agility and kind of bend around the edge. They put him back there, like you said earlier, Wes, at at a linebacker type of spot, standing up on the edge or even behind, you know, kind of over the defensive line. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and that's – when we talk about South Carolina having that kind of legitimate two deep, it really stands out at the edge positions where you've got – Enigbari and Sterling, and then your next group you can roll in there is, is Jordan Birch and Jordan Sean. Something about that number seven rushing off the edge, too, man. It just it just brings back uh, brings back memories. So, all right, y'all. Uh, I guess that's going to about do it, uh, Chris. You got any final thoughts on the press conferences from today, man? By the way, I just so y'all know, if y'all want to watch or listen to Shane Beamer, just posted it on our YouTube while we were doing the show. So that's always youtubecom slash Central. If you're not subscribed to us there, um, please go uh, hit the subscribe button. It's completely free. We have a lot of content on there, Chris. We've The last year or so, we've, we've had a lot of content on there, but it's been even more this season. 
Uh, Kendall Smith, our intern, has done an outstanding job of posting um, additional videos than what we used to have. And um, I, I got a feeling that uh, that's something we want to continue to to add content ideas to. So be, be on the lookout for that, uh, Chris. I'm, I'm excited about what we have going there. And uh, if you're watching on YouTube now, hit that like button because I do think it helps our analytics. And uh, hit the subscribe button as well. But uh, any closing thoughts so far, man? No, no closing thoughts for me, man. Good show. Thanks for, to you, everybody, for listening, watching as always. And uh, I'll be back tomorrow. Yes, I um, I will not be here tomorrow. We will um, – maybe we'll get Colin on or maybe we'll get – maybe this will be a good week to get our, our friends from uh, the Georgia Rivals site yep. on to, to talk some ball. They do quite a bit of uh, YouTube Live, videos, stuff like that as well, man. So um, – Maybe it would be a good time to uh, to get them in. Uh, Travis says, shout out to Colin Taylor for the TikTok. Uh, that's actually Kendall's doing. So, uh, Kendall, uh, and unless Colin's posted something since uh, since yesterday or Monday that I didn't see, uh, that would be Kendall Smith that was doing the TikTok. We'll have more on TikTok from what I understand if you're into that uh, at the Georgia game as well. So, appreciate y'all as always. Chris will be here tomorrow, Wednesday. I'll be back on Thursday, and uh, we'll see y'all then. Wendy's is giving you a chance to win cash. Head to a participating Wendy's, snap a pic when you try the new homestyle French toast sticks, and post it on social using the hashtag Wendy's French Toast Stick Sweeps or log on to Wendy's French Toast Stick Sweeps.com. Wendy's new homestyle French toast sticks are crispy on the outside, fluffy on the inside. They're so good, they're the best thing to ever happen to breakfast. No purchase necessary. See rules at Wendy's French toast stick sweeps.com. Sweepstakes end September 11th, 2022. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call one 800 
877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.